Well, good morning, guys. Uh, it's good to be back with you, and welcome to those of you who were not here yesterday. Uh, my name is Dave. I am a pastor at a sister ministry of Encounter, Purdue Christian Campus House. So I'm an unabashed Purdue fan, and uh, that's been good in basketball this year with the exception of Thursday. So, um, but uh, we're not here to talk about basketball. We're here to talk about Jesus. Last night I gave this Honestly, I was intimidated to give it because it was this big talk where we were looking at God's purposes from Genesis through Revelation with the three big takeaways that God is good. Fundamentally, foundationally, God is good. He is love. His image is beautiful. And that this good God is on a mission in the world to fill the earth with the image of His glory, with the knowledge of the glory, with the goodness and beauty and truth and joy and peace and life and light that is who He is. So He's a good God, He's a missional God, and he is a covenantal God that he makes covenants with humanity. What the, his special creation that was built in his image. And he covenants himself to his people to accomplish that purpose, that big mission. We saw that humanity throughout the history of the Old Testament was unfaithful to that covenant, unfaithful to God, but God was never unfaithful, continually developing and growing and ultimately bringing the new covenant in Jesus, sending his own son to come and die to fulfill all of the previous covenants and usher in a new covenant in his blood that enables us and empowers us to have the, the marred image, the sin-scarred image of God to be reconciled back to Him, forgiven for our sins, begin to be restored so that we're able to participate in His image bearing, both in our personal lives, through our own likeness to God, being able to manifest the fruit of the Spirit and show what God is like in our own lives to the people around us, and then also to participate in His mission to bring His good news to all nations so that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation all over the world can also be reconciled back to God and be able to bear his image in their context. So, that's like the 45 second version of last night. Uh, what we're looking at today is faith, work, and mission. We're going to look at the big three, sort of how we do this. What has God told his people in terms of his mission? And there are three greats. There's a great mandate, a great commission, well, a great commandment, and then a great commission. These are three overarching things that God has spoken to humanity that help us to participate in His grand mission. So we're going to look at those and then how that relates to our actual lives and how we live it out. 
So the first one is the great mandate. This is from Genesis 1, and it's recapitulated with Noah, and we still participate in it. This doesn't go away. He never said, stop filling, ruling, and multiplying. He never said, now the job is done, and it's only this thing. It is foundational. And I think the great mandate actually helps us to understand how all of our lives matter to God. How your major, how your family, how your passions, how your hobbies, how it all can be an expression of God's goodness. What Dalton said earlier with a beekeeper I thought was brilliant. Who would have thought beekeeping was a missional activity? But if we look at the great mandate, I think you'll be able to see how this works. So in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth, cover the whole earth, and subdue it. Rule over it. Exercise authority. Exercise dominion in my image. So God showed humanity what this looked like by creating everything in Genesis 1, saying it was good, but he created wilderness, and then he created something special for them in the garden, where he took wilderness and cultivated it and made it fit for human life in a great place to live where there's fruit trees and nut trees and you know good things to eat and probably comfortable places to lay in the shade of giant trees and but he he took the beauty of creation and cultivated it to make it fit for human life and so when he says go and subdue creation what he's saying is go and take the creative capacity the things i've hidden in the world and draw out beautiful things good things things fit for human life and so here's a plant so uh, this is brassica oleracea does anybody know anything about this plant so i'm going to say something shocking today and God did not create broccoli. He didn't. It's not because broccoli is bad, but God did not create broccoli. And I believe that God superintended over creation and he created everything in the earth. He didn't create broccoli. He created the capacity for broccoli. And humans, in partnership with God, selectively bred this sea cabbage and made not only broccoli, but cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, kale, broccoli, cauliflower, rutabaga, turnips, and a whole litany of other things. So this one plant was selectively bred by humans to create a bunch of different delicious vegetables. Or you might say disgusting vegetables, but that's okay. Uh, so it's amazing that God created the capacity in Brassica oleracea and humans partnering with God selectively bred this into a bunch of diverse, interesting, and delicious foods. I'm going to say something else shocking. God did not create poodles. He didn't. And I had a standard poodle. It was the best dog I ever owned, so I love poodles. But he didn't create German Shepherds. He didn't create Lazo Opsos or Portuguese Water Dogs or Bulldogs. He didn't do it. He didn't. God created this thing. This is the uh, Pleiotecene wolf, also known as the dire wolf. 
So there was this crazy prehistoric wolf and humans in partnership with God exercising their creative capacity selectively bred a freaking wolf and turned it into all of these different things. It is an expression of our image bearing to be able to take capacity that God has hidden in the earth and hidden in canines and hidden in this freakish wolf and turn it into a Maltese. It is beautiful, it is amazing, and it is an expression of God's creative capacity. And we think about seeing eye dogs and rescue dogs and lap dogs and all the different ways that these genes can be expressed in these ways. It's amazing. And it's, an, it's, it's a picture of what it looks like to bear God's image and to exercise dominion in a really cool way. I'm going to have you guess, Okay. So the thing that we're going to talk about in a minute, God didn't create, but he did make sheep or maybe some ancestor of sheep. I don't know their history. Maple trees, pine trees, and this ancient horse. And so this is like a Minecraft experiment, right? Where you get to like take different materials and take different things. Does anybody want to venture a guess what out of these four things can be created? And it's okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, the, uh, 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 no, so out of these four things, that's all right. So out of these four things, we have this, okay? And so out of these four things, you have maple for the wood for the tree. You have sheep guts for the strings. You have pine trees to create the rosin. And you have horse hair to create the bow. So humans, out of these four things, can create this and play Bach. It is mind-blowing that out of sheep, horses, and trees, you can make violins that can play a concerto. So it's cool, right? This is what it looks like to exercise dominion in God's image, to take the created capacity that is in the world and draw it out. There's a verse that says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, and it is the glory of kings to seek it out. And so humans have sought out amazing things out of the creative capacity that God has hidden in the earth. Your cell phone is made out of like sand and oil deposits. Like it's mind-blowing when you think about what humans have been able to do with their image-bearing capacity. What it looks like to partner with God is to create things that are good, that are true, that are beautiful, that sustain life and restrain evil. Okay? Good, true, beautiful, sustain life, restrain evil. Because we are marred by the fall, because there is sin, people use their creative capacity for all sorts of evil things as well. We see people creating awful things out of the capacity of the earth as well as beautiful things. And so we don't want to use our creative capacity to create torture devices, right? Or meaningless things, or things that destroy the environment around us because we were called to rule in God's image over creation. So we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus 
to do good works which he has laid out beforehand to be our way of life. I love this verse because this word handiwork, it can be translated different ways. Some of the translations say, for we are what he has made us, or we are God's poem. Because the word, the Greek word is poema. It means carefully crafted, specially designed, intricately put together. We are God's intricately put together thing created in Christ Jesus to actually do good work that he's laid out beforehand to be our way of life. A couple things out of this verse. Number one is that the work doesn't create us. God has created us. Our identity is not derived from what we do, but work is a pre-fall condition. Adam and Eve were called to till and keep the garden and to subdue the whole earth. Work is not evil. It is cursed after the fall, so it is much harder to do than it was pre-fall, and there are all sorts of obstacles to our work, but work is not a curse. We will be working in new creation when heaven and earth are joined together and it will be beautiful. But work is not the source of our identity. Work does not create us. God has created us. Work is meant to be an expression of our identity as we were created in Jesus. And so God's image is bigger than anything. And we can, we are image bearers, but we, none of us bear the whole image of God. We just bear a sliver of it. And we are created to bear that sliver of it in a multitude of beautiful ways. Doing things that God has laid out beforehand, He's prepared works for us to step into, which I think is so encouraging that God especially designed us and he has special opportunities for us to express his image through our design in the various things that we do. It's really cool because you think about your major, you think about your hobbies, you think about your passions, and you think that you can bear God's image in all of these various ways with him. But again, it's not the source of your identity, it's the expression of your identity. Um, I, and just a bonus, uh, sometimes I think we can read this verse like it's a uh, left to right scroller, like a Mario game, where like God has laid good works out for us, like the little uh, question mark boxes, and there's one path, and we're going to miss it if we don't hit it, and like, okay, that's behind us, and whatever. But God is really big, and He is a multi-dimensional God, and so our lives end up looking a lot more like an open world RPG than a scroller because he has created a multitude of works for us to do. There are endless ways that his image can be born through our life in this world. There are endless good works that he has prepared for us to do, and we get the adventure of discovering those with God. And he has given us free will to decide if we want to go do a side quest and express our image over here in some capacity. So just to be free from this like binding guilt that says, if I don't get it exactly right, then I've missed it. God is a God of grace. His story is one of his faithfulness. And I think he wants us to be his free children, exploring the goodness of his image in a multitude of ways expressed through us in the world. Okay, so we see the great mandate. 
we see that it has some really cool ways of being expressed in all the world through our lives. The next thing he gives is his great commandment. This is, well, we'll just read the text. A Pharisee asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we saw a great mandate. Fill, rule, multiply. And now we see great commandment. How do we do that? In love. And so I kind of wanted to play what is love, baby don't hurt me right here. But um, I didn't. But you can have it running through your head if you know the song. Uh, so what is love? What is love? I think the clearest expression of love that we have in the Bible is here in this famous verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God so loved the whole world that he gave what was most precious to him in order to rescue the world. So God self-sacrificially gave what was needed for the best interest of the world. And so I want to offer a definition of love which is self-sacrificially willing or seeking the best interest of another person. It's not necessarily doing what the other person wants all the time. If someone is a heroin addict, it may not be love to give them heroin. But it is willing to lay your life down, to give up what is precious, to sacrifice in order to see others flourish. So we see it in God, the, the cross-shaped life entering into the pain of the world, bearing it himself so that others may not perish but have eternal life. John, 1 John 4, 7 says God is love. This is his image. This is what he does. He is all about self-sacrificially seeking the best interest of others. It is one of the reasons that God is so good. What is the opposite of love? So if love is self-sacrificially seeking the best interest of other people, the opposite of love is not hatred, but I think it is lust. And not just a sexual lust, but lust being selfishly seeking one's own best interest at the expense of another person. Selfishly seeking one's own best interest at the expense of another person. And so, so often, we confuse love and its opposite. If I told you I love pizza, it might mean I like it a lot, but actually it means I'm seeking my own best interest at the expense of that pizza. And that's okay. But when we do this with people and we seek our own best interest at the expense of another person, we are abiding in the opposite of love. And I think there can be a temptation for us to not love God, but to do the opposite of love to God, to selfishly seek our own best interest at his expense. 
What's beautiful is that he loves us. And in a marriage, and when I do weddings, oftentimes I'll talk about this because what a good marriage looks like is two people loving each other. One person utterly committed to selflessly seeking the best interest of the other person. And this person utterly committed to selflessly seeking the best uh, of this person. And so when you have that, you have this beauty of holding one another up and lifting one another up rather than trying to take and consume life from the other person and seek one's own best interest at their expense. And so we have God who is selflessly seeking our best interest. How do we return that love? How do we love God? How do we self-sacrificially seek the best interest of a perfect being who knows everything and has all the power and all the resources in the whole world? Like, how do we do that? I think it's by obeying him and not trying to obey him or thinking about things that he might want to do, but actually taking seriously what he is saying to us and doing it, because if he is all-loving, if he is perfectly good, if he is all-powerful, what he's asking us to do is in our best interest, and it's in his best interest. And so to seek his best interest, we should take seriously what he says to us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from the Father. Jesus is inviting us into a mutually loving relationship where we are laying down our lives for one another. He has already laid down his life for us. He has already given it all in order to forgive our sins and liberate us from evil and darkness. And he is inviting us to give up our own life and our self-life in order to take on his life, to give up, lay down our life for him. Not to use him to selfishly preserve our own desires or maybe like erase a little bit of guilt that we have, but to enter into a friendship with God where we are both self-sacrificially seeking one another's best interest, giving it all, laying our lives down so that we can have an intimate friendship with Jesus and participate in what he and the Father are up to in the world. So great mandate, great commandment, and now we have the great commission as we enter into this loving relationship, as we enter into this mutually sacrificial relationship, we get to know what the Father is doing, and we get invited to participate in God's family business of redemption. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. If we remember from last night, God divided the nations at Babel 
so that they would spread and fill the whole world, but he is utterly committed to evangelizing and sharing his goodness with every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. And this isn't some sort of like colonialism and domination, which oftentimes missions have looked like in the past, but it is a recognition that everyone on earth is an image bearer of God. And there are unique parts of his image and his character hidden in the peoples of the world. That every culture, your our own, my own, your own included, bears part of God's image, and our culture is also marred and broken by sin. So it also partially doesn't bear his image. But there are beautiful things in every culture that represent things of God and parts of his character and his nature. And we get to go connecting people of all tribes, all tongues, all nations to Jesus so that they can have that brokenness in their culture and history repaired by the cross and by Jesus' love and be able to express the unique beauty of their cultures and their families and their languages. They can bear God's image in unique ways there. And guys, Cultural distinctions don't go away in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship Jesus together in new creation. And that says there will be different tribes, there will be different tongues, there will be different nations that are there worshiping God together with their cultural distinctives and the epic beauty of the multiplicity of ways that God's image is expressed on earth through humanity. And so racism isn't just a sin that is bad because it's not right. It is anti the mission of God. Because we are to make disciples of all nations, we're not to be imperial invaders of our own culture to all nations, but we are to help them meet and follow Jesus and express his image in beautiful ways. So we're called also to make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say make converts of all nations. It says make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who is learning from their master. The true beloved of Jesus, Jesus says, are those who hear me and obey me. Our job is to help people learn to hear and recognize and know God and follow him. How are we saved? Well, we declare that Jesus is Savior and Lord, where he deals with our sin, but also becomes the leader of our life, our King, who we obey and follow. So we are to work to make disciples of all nations. So, and all nations, I think we talked about that. Kind of jumped the gun on it, but I got excited. Uh, and I think this piece is really important too. He says, all authority on heaven and in earth, on earth and in heaven is mine. Jesus has all authority. He has all the power. He has the ability to accomplish everything. In Ephesians, it said he is seated far above all created things, every demonic power, every human power. He is an authority above all of it. And the one who holds all the authority says, I am with you till the end of the age. And so we're given this epic commission to go and make disciples of all nations with 
Jesus with the one who holds all the authority and all the power. He doesn't sit back and send us out and say, good luck, call me when you get there. He says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My Father and I, we will come and make our home within you. The kingdom of God is within you. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives within you. And so it images Jesus' ministry on earth as well. As Jesus was doing ministry on earth, no one had more authority and power than Jesus. But Jesus said, I can do nothing apart from what I see my Father doing. Jesus' authority flowed from his communion with the Father. And our authority and effectiveness in mission flows from our communion with Jesus. And so, lastly, as we look at these three, the great mandate, the great commandment, and the great commission, we can see that every aspect of our lives matters. Everything matters to God. Your hobbies, your majors, your work, your relationships to other people, and your actual like ministry stuff, sharing Jesus to people, all of it matters. All of it is important because God's big mission that he has covenanted himself to us to do is to let his image shine in the whole world. And so our personal holiness matters because we are meant to image God in our own lives to live free from the domination of sin, to live free from the domination of other people, to be agents for good in our whole lives. We are called to express His image in our field of studies, in our work, in our family, to be His representative and source of His wisdom as we draw out the creative capacity of the earth and create beautiful things and restrain evil and sustain life. And we are called to go and help others do the same. Well, you're going to do that in your groups. So uh, if the band wants to come up, I want to pray over us. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are so beautiful. Father, thank you that you love us so much. God, I thank you that everything matters Thank you that you are so big that everything we do and every person we meet matters desperately to you. God, I ask that you would bless us here this weekend with a deeper understanding, with an infusion of creativity to think about all the aspects of our lives and and hold it up to how good and how beautiful you are. God, would you inspire in us new ways of doing our work? Would you inspire in us new ways of loving our neighbor? Would you help us to love you more? And God, would you help us be missionally effective, creating other disciples who can do the same good image-bearing work in this world? God, we corporately declare that apart from you, we can't do it. Apart from you, we can do nothing We cannot bear fruit that lasts. And thank you that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us for the mission, to remind us of what you're doing. Thank you that you say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
God, I ask that You would bless us with an increase of Your Spirit in our lives, of Your voice, Jesus, in our lives. That, God, You would invade every area of our life because it all matters to You. I just want to speak against any purposelessness or malaise. That's not from the Lord. Because your life has great purpose. And God has created you for good work. And I want to speak against any lack of self-worth. Because God says you are valuable. You are instrumental. You are fearfully, wonderfully, carefully made in my image for my purposes. So Lord, I ask that you would teach us anew who we are in you. Would you raise us up past over performance or lack thereof? Would you lift us up out of the mundane? And would you take us higher in you so that we can see clearly your amazing plans, your incredible love, and how you have decided for some reason to make us central in what you're doing. God, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.